0: It's good to be here this morning, and uh, one of the things that uh, I, I like about that song uh, that we just sang is, uh, you know, it uh, talks about uh, coming Jesus coming to him as he opens his arms to us, and he says, uh, as we come to him, there's ten thousand charms. I don't know what a charm is, but something that is inviting, and certainly as we think about um, our Savior. You know, sometimes we forget just uh, how, many things, how many reasons He gives us to, to just come to Him in our neediness and, uh, and what, a, what a wonderful thing that is. And what a wonderful thing worship is, isn't it? Let me think about it. Um, everybody's worshiping this morning, not just people here, but everybody in this community is worshiping this morning. Do you realize that? You're either worshiping the true God. Or you're worshiping something. Because everybody, God created us to, be, to worship. We're worshipers. So we either worship the true God or we, we worship a replacement God. And that would be called an idol. In other words, things that people worship are, um, you know, there's a thousand different ones, things that people can worship, but then there's one true God. And so uh, Jesus said that God is looking for worshipers who worship Him in what? In spirit, which would be by faith, and in truth, which is revelation of God's word. So, uh, so everybody's worshiping is just what are they worshiping and who are they worshiping this morning? So, don't think about people as you come as you walk through this. Even as we drive through uh, the hollow here, and as we drive through Charleston, as we drive through, and we look, you know, we see people's lives and they're doing something, but they are worshiping. It's just that what are they worshiping? because they are, they're giving worth to something that either is everlasting and eternal, or they're worshiping something that is temporal and that's passing away. And so, uh, so as I thought about uh, what to speak on this morning, we're going to turn over to Titus chapter 2, because we're going to look at the good life. You know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, as we look at 2023, and as we think about the good life, uh, Paul, in describing the good life to the Cretans, which we know we're, were a group of really rough-looking rough people, uh, he is describing the good life. What's, I think, interesting as, as we come to this text is, you know, we can say, well, if that's what the good life is, Lord, I need help. And we're going to look at the help part. <laughs> what, what, what is it? How can we actually live out what Paul is saying that is a picture of what godliness looks like. Um, In other words, where do we get the power? What's the engine? You know, it's nice to have a beautiful car that has a wonderful radio, right? And a car that has good tires, they don't blow out, you know, when you move. But if the car doesn't have an engine, it's kind of useless, right? You can't just push the car, you know, look at my beautiful car and you're pushing it around. Well, that, you know, some people think, well, you know, it's Christian life that, you know, if we're going to grow as Christians, that uh, we just have to change a few things. But what Paul is saying here is that the power to change is something that God gives us when he saves us, and it continues on and throughout eternity. And so we're going to look at that this morning. But, but I want us to read this text because it kind of, he, he's, Paul's setting us up for the so what or how, you know, the how question here in verse 1. So we're going to read this whole, actually this whole chapter. So turn, if you will, to uh, Titus chapter 2. And notice what Paul says. Here is the inerrant, infallible Word of God for us this morning. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, "...or slaves to much wine, they are to teach what's good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, loud, or loud, kind..." (laughs) I wasn't substituting. "...and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled." Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that, you, that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may, not be put, may, may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive. And when you word that word slave there, I think of it in terms of workers and uh, employers and employees. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In other words, to make the, the teaching of Scripture attractive to the unsaved. And then here's the, here's the, this is, how does that happen? I mean, how's, how, how can we get the power to live this lot kind of life? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And notice how he ends it. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And uh, a lot of powerful words there. So uh, let's ask God for his help as we uh, as we look at this text this morning. Father, I thank you for just the privilege of worship. Uh, Lord, it's... Uh, It's nothing but grace that brings us here. Uh, Lord, grace is that which, uh, Father, is unmerited. It's not by our efforts or by our good deeds or by our works that you save us. And sometimes, Father, we get caught up in thinking that it's just by our going through religious activities that saves us. But, Father, you are the one who sent your Son uh, to be our Savior, to redeem us from the curse of the law. Uh, Father, to become a curse for us, to uh, pay the penalty uh, of our sin, and uh, Father, to take uh, uh, our sin upon Himself on the cross, that we might have the forgiveness that uh, we can't purchase by our own efforts. But Father, comes to us by grace. And then it's that grace that keeps us, and it's that grace that draws us to Yourself so, Father, I thank you for your word this morning to us. And as we think about it and as we meditate on it, Father, we pray that 2023 would be a year in which, uh, Father, we would uh, not only would be directed by grace, but we would be drawn by grace, that we would walk in grace, that we would be uh, pushed and, and uh, even exhorted, Father, uh, in our walk of, uh, Father, of living in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, it's in His, in Christ's name, that we pray these things and giving you thanks for the one who has provided salvation to us and for us and who will see that to complete to its end. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a wonderful text for us this morning, and there's, there was a lot of things that uh, I was thinking about, but um, usually when we start a new year, what's the first thing we think about? What are some of my new year's resolutions? And uh, I usually break mine the next day after I think about the things I'm not going to eat. And then Chris fixes something and then I eat it. And then I say, well, okay, I bloomed that. Okay, no use worrying about it the rest of the year. So I can just go back to doing what I want to do. Well, so sometimes we think of changes like that. You know, growing as Christians, I think sometimes we think that all we have to do is just add something or change something. Or, Or maybe we think if I just get my doctrine just totally perfect and correct, then then I'll change, you know, I, I'll really be growing. Or, or maybe we're looking for that one experience that, that just will, you know, just blow everything away and, and, and it just will, you know, uh, you kind of like thinking that uh, I just need that lightning bolt of change to take place. And all of those things are things that maybe have some truth to them. But what Paul is, uh, is kind of giving us here is that God has already operating in your life, if you are a believer, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then somehow, some way in which God in His mercy has graciously reached down and has taken hold of you and opened your eyes to the gospel so that you, you understand that you are a sinner saved by grace and that there's nothing that you can do to earn it and there's nothing that you can do to... Um, Nothing that you can do to, to, to be right with God apart from God doing what he did on the cross for us. And it's that grace in salvation that Paul wants us to, you know, we we kind of think of this as okay, I I got saved uh, and I've trusted Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. Okay, so now I've got to just really work hard to try to be be a better Christian, right? And what we fail to see is that God's grace is not only at the beginning of the Christian life. But God's grace is also doing something else. God takes us under his hand and he teaches us and he's training us in to say yes and no. Say no to ungodliness, to say yes to God. But he's also doing something else that grace is also pushing us forward because we're looking forward to something. Because this is not all there is to the Christian life, right? There's something to come. And that something to come is called Glory. So on the one hand, God in His grace takes us and saves us. That grace begins to teach us and guide us. And then that grace also leads us to glory. And glory is something that I don't know about you, but every every, it just seems like when, when you talk about glory, you can't, it's hard to express, because what does it mean to see the glory of God? And, and that Paul wants, Paul's saying that these are the things that will produce in us the kind of life that God wants to help for us to live out he's not saying that we'll do it perfectly but he's saying that that grace will produce what only grace can do and, and that's why uh, Paul says in verse 11 he notice how he does it he says as he, he gives us this list of the go, the picture of the good life and you're going like wow there's some areas there where I I really are, am uh, floundering, in fact if you notice there's a word that's repeated all through Titus, it's called the word self-control. Um, you remember back in, the, back in the day, now this would be before even my day, uh, but uh, there was the temperance movement. That word temperance was the word self-control, and uh, you remember there was a, a name out there that used to be uh, uh, really popular, you'll hear it sometimes, Billy Sunday. He was head of the temperance movement. Uh, in fact, uh, when I went to seminary, somebody Kenny asked me if I went to cemetery, but I didn't go to cemetery. I did go to seminary. Um, is uh, when I went to seminary, the seminary where I went, they had Billy, tabernacle, Billy Sunday's tabernacle. It was the sawdust floors, still had the sawdust floors. In fact, when I had my graduation, and I, we graduated, we all went to the Billy Sunday tabernacle to graduate. And it's still the old sawdust floors there, and you know and and they still had preaching there uh... but but the word temperance was really the word self-control and all through the text in chapter two Paul's saying older men you need to have self-control younger men you need self-control Older women, you need self-control. Younger women, you need self-control. What's the point? Well, self-control is something that only the Holy Spirit can produce, right? The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's something that God produces when He saves us, and it's something that that God does uh, through His work. Actually, you would say it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and what's beautiful about this text, I believe, this morning, as we think about, as you think about uh, the, the things that may discourage you in your Christian life. Now, there's, and, and if I were to ask you, you'd probably say, well, you know, I really want to change. There's things that, man, I, I seem to always mess up here and, and uh, but I think the greatest discouragement in the Christian life is the discouragement to believe that we can't change. What this text says is that grace changes us. Now, does it always make things the way that we want them to come out or make them turn out the way we want them to? No, that's not the point. The point of grace is that God is changing us into the likeness of His Son. And the trials that we face in our Christian life are things that God's using to transform us, to make us more like Christ. But notice, Paul, when he says "for" there, he's basically saying, "Hey, this is what's going to drive your Christian life, and it should drive in everything that we do as a church, uh, and if we want to grow as a church, guess what? It has to, grace has to be at the very foundation. We want to we want to be we want to be um, a church that's effective. Grace has to be." At the very essence of the, the message, if we want, if we want to have uh, grace changing us so that we're we're looking, we're not looking at this life thinking that this is all there is, because brothers and sisters, if this is all there is, let's just eat and drink and be merry, <laughs> for tomorrow we die. In other words, if this all if that was it, but Paul says no, we're looking forward to glory. And that glory is something that that when Moses asked to see the glory of God, remember what happened when he says, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, you can't look at God's glory and live. You'll die if you look at God's glory. And so what did God do? God took Moses, put him in the cleft of the rock, and then it says God passed by and that Moses was able to see what? His back. I don't have any idea what but, but, but and, and then the Lord says, when in that, that verse, he says, he says, talking about his glory, he says, he says, he talks about his steadfast love, God's grace. God's grace allows us to see a side of God's glory that we wouldn't be able to see apart from the cross. And, and so Paul is saying, for the grace of God has done what? It's appeared. The grace of God is teaching, present tense. Past tense, he's appeared. We know Jesus appeared, right? The first coming. He was born. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. And that grace now is doing what? He's saying that grace now, in verse 12, is training us. The word there is pedagogue. A pedagogue was somebody that was a given the task of raising a child, and they would be like a, a personal teacher. You know, or, or like if you know, um, these real sophisticated people today uh, have their own personal trainers. You know, uh, well well that 's what a pedagogue was a pedagogue was a personal trainer, and they would make sure that that child uh, was was trained and taught and instructed and they were there all, they were there twenty four seven for that person i mean that 's kind of cool and I mean <laughs> well, guess what what jesus Paul is saying here he 's saying that the grace of God is doing something now it 's training us it 's teaching us to live a certain way, to say no to certain things, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, but also to say yes to the right things, to live self-controlled, upright. Uh-oh, that word self-control jumped in there again, didn't it? And uh, godly lives in the present age waiting for, now here's, so, that, so what's he describing? He's describing salvation, regeneration, then he's describing the life of sanctification and growth as a Christian and then he's going to describe glorification. He's saying, what's it teaching us? To wait for our blessed hope. The appearing, what's the appearing of the glory of our great God. That's going to happen at the second coming. So, past tense, the hope that, that salvation's appeared to all men. He's not saying that God saves everybody. But what he's saying is that a salvation has appeared to both what? Jews and Gentiles. Rich and poor. Religious and non-religious? I mean, look at what happened in the gospel. It's radical, isn't it? Jesus came, and who gets saved? Shepherds. <laughs> and who else? Well, there's these wise men from the east, and they're Gentiles. And then you begin to look at the sinful woman at the feet of Jesus, and you, and you look at uh, the man by the pool of Siloam, or you look at people who are blind, or you look at people who were, um, you know, think of lepers. I mean, the lowest, lowest thing that you could be in that society was a leper. And Jesus is touching lepers and healing them. That's God's grace being revealed. And it's being revealed in uh, in, in transformation and in salvation. And so Paul Paul is saying, you know, rather than being focused on, we get focused on, what am I doing wrong? Paul's saying, focus on the Lord, on God's grace. Because as you're focusing on God's grace, then God's grace then is teaching us and training us and how does it do that well the Holy Spirit in your life the Holy Spirit's work he's a per, he's, he's a personal trainer if you will he's 24 seven think about it somebody that that's going to be there to guide you to to direct you to uh, to uh, to remind you to convict you of sin for example that's a, that's a uh, that's a powerful ministry of the holy spirit so paul's anticipating if you will he's kind of anticipating people saying well how's this going to happen how how do i how do i have the power to live the christian life and what he's saying here it's all about grace in other words paul is is paul is taking a stand and saying the gospel of god's grace Is the very foundation. It's the very engine that drives the car. It's the very thing that drives a Christian, that enables a Christian to live out the Christian life. It's not something that you can do in your own strength. But but we sometimes think, well, uh, for example, um, I'm close to seventy, but you know I've not arrived. See if you're if you're a Christian who thinks you're arrived right, then you don't need grace, right? I don't know any Christian that doesn't need grace. <laughs> I you know Paul I mean Peter says grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And he's just basically saying, you know, everything about your Christian life has to be focused and has to be rooted in grace. You know, we and we and sometimes we use that term in a light way, but in essence, it's the very it's the very thing that should really drive us to worship. You know, grace, I mean, gra- the fact that God was gracious, God didn't have to come into the world to save us, but he chose to. He could have sat on his throne and said, well, you know, it's, 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 in other words, Genesis chapter 3 could have been it. Probably one of the most important chapters in all the Bible It's the fall of man and why, what God did as a result of that But he didn't end it there, did he? We have the rest of the Bible to show God coming and appearing. So this idea that grace has appeared uh, is is powerful. Martin Luther described it like this. Uh, This is, I think, a really uh, good picture. He says, picture yourself as a caterpillar trying to crawl out of a ring of fire. And he says, grace is when someone picks you up and carries you over the fire. I don't know if you've tried this as kids. You know, as kids, you'd put like little woolly caterpillars and you'd surround them with fire. Have you ever? I mean, I think I actually did that one time. (laughs) I mean, you know, I think of cruelty. Um, In other words, but the point is you can't save yourself. The, the, the first step in God rescuing us is to admit that we're caught in this ring of fire. We're helpless without hope. Without sa- we can't save ourselves. And that the grace is Jesus at the cross rescuing you from the wrath of God. That's the fire. And God in Christ then picking you up out of that and putting himself right into the very center on the cross. And Jesus saying, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? And God saying, the wrath of God was poured on on Jesus In your place. But in that process, God picks you out of the ring of fire. Now that's grace. (laughs) And that's the grace that Paul's saying. It's appeared. It's bringing salvation for all kinds of people. You know, God didn't limit it just to the Jews, God was always intending to save Jews and Gentiles, and and older men and younger men, and older women and younger women. I mean, that's the whole point of, of our. You might say, of the kingdom of God, God's whole point is that people would hear about grace. You got people who are struggling with addiction, guess what, grace. You could say, well, try harder. Well, I'm sorry, but trying harder is not going to help. You got to have a change. God has to come and, and he has to powerfully deliver you from that. And it doesn't happen overnight. But it does happen. God's the one that can do it. And that's what I think Paul is trying to, trying, to, he's trying to encourage these believers that they're living. See, they're living in a society where everybody was saying, it's all about me. It's all about what I feel. It's all about what makes me happy. Now, it's kind of a me-centered, isn't it? <laughs> but it's a very self-centered society that they were living in. But what's so different between what we're living in today than what they were? See, we try, we don't wanna, we don't wanna, we're studying scripture, but as we study about what they were like, realize that, you know, man hasn't changed. People are still the same. Guess what? Why aren't, why aren't churches filled? Because people are self centered. <laughs> they're serving, they are worshiping their God, but it's not the God of scripture, right? It, it's, they're, they're worshiping whether it's convenience, comfort, um, whatever it is. But but God's grace doesn't leave us after He saves us. I mean, wouldn't that be uh, wouldn't that be amazing? Child's born, mom says, uh, "Well, you know, I did my part. Uh, You're on your own, buddy." (laughs) I mean, the poor the poor baby doesn't know what to do. Can't even change itself. I mean, but God saves us, and then what's He do? He 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 begins to train us and how to live the Christian life. And part of living that Christian life is using the means of grace that God puts in front of us, right? I need a pedagogue. I need the Holy Spirit to train me and to teach me daily what it means that God has saved me by his grace and that God holds me by his grace. You know, we forget that, right? Well, if I just try a little harder this week, maybe I'll be a better Christian, That's not grace. Now, it doesn't mean you shouldn't try, but the point is, is how are you trying? Are you trying through God's gift, God's power, God's strength that he gives us? And what is one of the things that God's grace does teach us is to say no. I don't know about you, but that's the hardest word to say to anybody. Say that no to a two-year-old and what do they do? (laughs) No, you can't have that. What happens? As soon as you turn your back, they've gone for it. Don't touch that candy. Uh, just don't, don't, you can't have that cookie. It, it happens every time. Why? Because it's so hard to say no to self. And, and Paul is saying that, that God's grace teaches us, trains us to renounce, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And, and that's that's a gift of God's grace to be able to say no. I mean, think about the things you have to say no to to life, I mean, in life. Uh, to move forward. It seems like there's a lot, there seems to be more things. Uh, but, but Paul was not saying that grace just gives us a license to sin. So you notice that? See, some people teach grace like that. Well, grace just means you're not under the law, and you can just do anything you want to. That's not grace. That's license. It's a license to do, live your own life. But if that's a total denial of grace... Because grace is going to train us and teach us on right and wrong. What's good and what's pleasing to God. What doesn't please God. Gay, I mean, think, So one of the things that grace does is that it restores you to wholeness. Now think about it. If God's trying to transform us into the image of Christ, where does he start? He's going to start with your heart, isn't he? and that's so 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 we just mentioned what what did we mention we mentioned self control isn't that a part of god's grace training us to say no i mean i mean think about the decisions you make in order to say yes to something you've had to turn down say no to a lot of other things right <laughs> in order to make a choice But God's grace is there and the, the intent there is that God is transforming a person who was ungodly, who had no use for worship, who had no use for the true God, no use of the creator, redeemer, and he's changing us. He's transforming us. That's the first step. So God begins to work in the heart. But notice what else he does. He transforms something else, our relationships. Do you notice that? He says there to live self-control upright there. Upright just means the way you treat other people. So you see the first table of the law being restored in it. Restoring our relationship with God, then restoring our relationship with our neighbor, and then doing what? Then, then building on that Producing in us godliness. So in other words, he teaches us to live for God's glory. Um, I just think of the, uh, you know, when we think of godliness, sometimes we think of someone in a monastery who just sits there and maybe flagellates themselves if they're (laughs) having a bad thought or whatever. But but see, godliness has nothing to do with any of that. Godliness is just acknowledging my dependence upon God. Isn't it? I mean, think about it. what? When I am weak, then I am what? Strong. God perfects his power in what? In my weakness. And we heard from uh, in Donnie's class this morning how God uses, I mean, he, he, you know, there, there's people mocking them because they're, you know, even if a, even if a fox jumps on, that, on that, that wall, it's going to fall down. They're making fun of us Christians who really believe that God can take something really insignificant and small and do something really tremendous and great. We might say we're insignificant, but guess what? No, each one of of us who have the Holy Spirit have something the world doesn't have and it's the Holy Spirit through the Word that changes not only us, but relationships and other people as we share the good news. Godliness is just that, go- that we're basically saying thy will be done. That's godliness. When you pray that prayer, I mean, I often will use the Lord's Prayer just as a guide to get me to think about what is it God wants us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and then what? My will be done. No, 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 my will be done. <laughs> Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in other words, not the way I want it to turn out. It, that's, that's godliness. That's, that's a, a knee that's bowing before God and saying, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, and so, isn't it interesting that God saves us by his grace he teaches us by His grace, and then what's He doing? By His grace, He causes us to look forward to something even, even more glorious, and that's called glory. The word glory there is a, an Old Testament word. Now, it's used in different ways, but one of the meanings of glory is the word kabod. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, and it means K A B O D. But it basically means this it's weighty. We have no idea what it's going to be to behold the glory of God. It says when he appears, 1 John chapter 3, it says that we shall be changed for we shall be like him. Imagine. I mean, I don't know what that, I honestly, my, my brain cannot go beyond that point. <laughs> it's like, Uh, I've got a a lot of changing that take place. Well, guess what? When Jesus comes, that change just goes like that, as a twinkling of an eye. Now, that's what it's going to look like eventually. And so he wants us to realize that, guess what? God's grace didn't just save us and then drop us. It didn't. It continues to teach us, but it doesn't even stop at my death. Guess what? It says that death is good. Now, I don't know about you, but this church, and I think we read the newspaper every day, and we see death happening all over. But it says, those who die in Christ, it's a good thing. And you're going like, wow, well, for God to say that, <laughs> means that there's something wonderful, glorious on the other side that we're not getting. Right? It's called glory. It's called, it's called, it's, it's, Beyond my description, I mean, the word, Paul says that when we shall see him, we shall be changed. But, but you know, even there it says God is changing us now from one stage of glory to another. Um, you know, it, uh, so, so what, is it, what is it going, what is Godliness going to look like? And I, I, I'm going to take this quote that I, I, I copied. <laughs> uh, I didn't even put down the, uh, who I copied it from, but it is a quote. What will a heart taught and strengthened in grace look like? Well, number one, I will repent quicker. I will forgive other people deeper. I will love louder and worship more fully. I will throw more gospel parties and less pity parties. I like the pity parties for myself, you know, sometimes. Chris never participates in my pity parties. <laughs> I will not think less of me, but I will think, just think about me less of the time. So so grace is for sinners, not for pretenders or posers. In other words, grace means I'm needy. (laughs) Grace means, yes, Lord, I am needy. I'm this weak sinner. Guess what? As I pray on my knees and I call upon the Lord, guess what? I'm saying, Lord, I can't do this. You can. I can't bring kids to this church, Lord, I am the instrument, and I can invite, and we can have people here. But guess what, Lord? We're asking you to do a work in this, in our society, because unless God, what, God brings revival, unless God changes hearts, then, you know, we could say, well, I'll just try harder. No, I need God's grace to transform people. Now, I don't know how low people have to go. Sometimes people have to go really low before they really realize how utterly dependent they are. But what Paul is talking about, he's talking about 200% proof. I don't know when you're talking about uh, people say, you know, well, that alcohol is 100 proof. Well, guess what? Grace is 200 proof. (laughs) In other words, he's talking about when grace gets a hold of people, it does change people. Because most people are out there thinking well you know I, I I'll go to church if I if once I get my life straightened out I, I'll go to church and I, I don't want I don't want the I, yeah, I've heard people you know if I walk in that church the, the ceiling will fall in on me and you go like I don't know about you but I'm a sinner and I'm saved by grace and it's never fallen on me yet the point is is that guess what it's grace that changes you because It's only grace that can forgive your sins. And I can, you know, because people are out there trying, well, if I just try a little harder, if I just change here, if I just do this, you know, and guess what? Guess, we can't do it in our strength. Only God can do that. Only God can transform And Paul's saying, and I love this, that you notice notice that he says that that grace is helping us, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. For what reason? Why did God give himself for us? To redeem us from all lawlessness. Not to be lawless, but to be law keepers. And you're going like, wait there. there. I didn't think that we we had any... No, God saves us and then all of a sudden the righteousness that God gives us, imputes to us through Christ becomes active righteousness in the way we live out our faith, the way we walk and act and so forth. So, What's Paul talking about? He's talking about you and I getting a new identity. See, if we're saved by grace, that's our identity. Do you realize that? You live out of your identity. For example, if you tell a child that they're a failure and they could not do anything ever good. Guess what? That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They're going to live out of that identity. Well, I've always been told that I can never do anything. But guess what? You're not being told that. God saves us and he gives us a new identity. That identity is I am in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. And if I'm living out of that identity, guess what? Basically, I'm saying, look, I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, it's Christ living in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by what? By faith. See, walking in the Spirit is not some super super-duper Christian running around. It's walking by faith, just trusting that what God said is true. That's walking by faith. And guess what? That's the hardest part of the Christian life, isn't it? But Lord, you said this, and it just ain't turning out this way. (laughs) Lord, you you promised this. I mean, I'm reading uh, Genesis 22, and God says, Abraham, through your your son Isaac, the whole world's going to be blessed. And then chapter 22, and he says, now go take your son Isaac and offer him up on an altar. And Isaac has the knife, and he's ready to slay his son because his son says, where's the, uh, where's the sacrifice? He says, God will provide one. <laughs> and he's tied up, and Abraham's ready to do that, and God holds his arm back, and he says, no, Abraham, I, now I know you fear God. And it says Abraham did that because he knew that God would, what, raise his son from the dead, Hebrews chapter 11. That's faith. Now I don't know about you, but living this Christian life is tough at times, right? When God is saying, "But, but, Christian, do this," and you're saying, "But, Lord, I, I, I don't know how. What benefit is that going to make?" God doesn't ask us to figure out the results. He just tells us to obey. And that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing to chew on sometimes. It's it's like hard candy when you break your tooth. <laughs> it's sometimes it can. Sometimes you know you're thinking, "Boy, if I chew on this long enough, I'm going to break something." So we have this new identity, but guess what? It's because we have a new mission. And the mission has been given to us here in chapter 2, and I'm just going to close with this. But notice the new mission we have. We are people who have been redeemed from all lawlessness to purify to himself a people for his own possession and are zealous for good works. What's our mission as Christians? Well, I'd say one of the missions, I think, is is uh, he gives us to us in verse 5 of chapter 2. So what's the impact of God's grace working in our life as Christians? Number 1, verse 5. To be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Now, why? That the word of God may not be reviled. Do you realize that word, submission? Oh, (laughs) jeez. It's always in context of marriage, too. Uh, but, but, but he doesn't just use it there. Guess what? He uses it in Ephesians. He says, be submissive to one another. All Christians are to be submissive to each other in Christ, in the Lord. Then he uses it in marriage. But he also uses it here in workers, here in, the, in this chapter. And he says, you need to be submissive to your masters, to those that you work for. So why should older men be temperate and self-controlled? To commend the gospel to other men. Because so Christ, Christ came to save older men. Why should older women be reverent and self-controlled? To commend the gospel to other women because Christ came to save women. Why should younger women love their husbands and children? To commend the gospel to their husbands and children. Why? Because Christ came to save husbands and children. Why should young men be self-controlled? To commend the gospel to other younger men, right? Because Christ died to save younger men, too, and children. and I mean, so Paul is just basically saying the only way that's going to happen is with God's grace. In other words, great. God wants you, if, if I could think of it as being baptized with grace every day. Don't start thinking, okay, I want to go deeper with God, I just, but I've already arrived. If you think that you are arrived as a Christian, you will not go deeper in grace. You'll say, I, well, you know, I don't need grace today. I would not step out of the house without grace. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm. Maybe that's, maybe that's overly, overly superstitious. But yes, in fact, the gospel of grace is, 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 is that important in the Christian life, and, and that's why I think Paul. And this, and this is a summary statement. If you, if you can think about this as, here is, here is God's saving us, God sanctifying us, and God glorifying us all in one snapshot and all with the intention towards mission, right? Isn't that what we want to do? We want to reach the world. But don't think you're not doing that by loving one another, by showing humility towards one another, by forgiving one another. I mean, this is real change for real sinners. So uh, what's going to get you through this year, and I believe one of those things is just uh, Paul gives us here. Actually, the one thing that we need most of all is just to be encompassed in grace, grow deeper in grace. Don't don't think that you can get. Don't you know? Don't just think. Okay, well, I understand it, but ask God to 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 deepen you in your dependence upon God's grace each day. You know that. Uh, it's it's like this. It's like uh, it's like some people talk about. Okay, well, I just want to go. I, I know what the gospel says. I just want to go beyond that. We can't go beyond the gospel. We can go dr- grow deeper in the gospel, but we can't go beyond it. And when you use the word gospel, you're saying that's God's grace that you need every day of your life. And. Uh, and if you th- so if you think you have arrived spiritually you won't grow you won't want to grow deeper that's why you know we study scripture right because we want to get to know the god of scripture he possessed us when he bought us with his precious blood and i believe that transformation paul says And even Paul tells him right at verse 15, Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. He's basically Paul saying, don't give up on the message. Trust in the power of the message. Trust in the power of God's grace to work through the Holy Spirit as the message is shared with people. Share this message with people at work. Share this message with people in the neighborhood. Share this message with each other. (laughs) I mean, I need that. I need to encourage Others to say, you know, yeah, boy, I had a rough week, but guess what? But it's the grace of God that got me through it, yeah. right? I need that. Yeah. Uh, I remember, um, I don't know, and I didn't tell anybody last week, but I you know, I, can't, I was, I, you know, for, for two months I've been really struggling with health issues. And I just got to a point where I was really starting to get really depressed. I didn't want to preach last week. You probably said, yeah, boy, you probably shouldn't have. <laughs> but what the point is, I didn't want to. But I came, and the first thing is I wasn't able to get to all of Sunday school, but I got to the point. But I was so encouraged by just hearing another brother share the word that by the time I got up here, I was ready to preach. (laughs) Now, that's the Holy Spirit. And if I could just say, well, you know, well, I'm just going to give in to the flesh. Okay, I don't feel like it, so I'm just not going to go. No, you just, sometimes you just say, you know, I'll do it anyway, Lord. I don't feel like it. And trust God to do the rest. That's what grace is about. It's basically saying, I can't save myself. And even as a believer, I don't live the Christian life thinking that I can do it in my own strength. I need God's strength. And that is called living in grace. We believe in amazing grace, don't we? And I believe that that's amazing grace is what's going to change. Not only continue to transform us. Because we're, we're, we're still not there yet, are we? I don't see any glorified people here. At least your, your face is not shining like Moses'. <laughs> now, the you know, smile on your face says something about your relationship with Jesus. But guess what? We well, haven't arrived yet. But someday it's going to happen. But in the meantime, that grace is transforming us and using that in the lives of others to bring us closer to our Savior and to uh, His glorious presence, let's pray. Father, thank you for Your Word and, Lord, I just pray that Your grace would abound more and more in our lives. And Father, forgive us where we uh, we fail to uh, appropriate grace. Forgive us when we forget grace. Forgive us when we think, Father, that we've that we've lived such a perfect life that we deserve a certain a kind of life, but help us, Father, just to come and just say, Lord, don't know what you're doing sometimes, but Lord, thank you that your grace keeps drawing us back to the place where we see that we're needy of your grace each day, each moment of each, uh, de- of each day, each second of each day. And Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name, Amen.